Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. All right, folks, I got limited time today, so I don't know if I'm going to have a 15-minute rant about a trade deadline pickup, but uh, maybe I still will. Uh, My kid's been battling something all week. We've tried our best to... uh, get him to school because he hasn't been too super boogery we figured like you know whatever kids they're all just exchanging germs but today uh he is tied up in the next room no he's watching a show one room over and i'm hoping that i've got like 20 or 30 minutes before he yells that he needs a snack or whatever so uh welcome to the show everybody it's fantasy nba today sports ethos presentation i'm your host dan bespris you can find me over on social at dan bespris and some of you are watching over there as we speak so hello uh make sure you like follow subscribe to everything we're doing here friends that are joining us right now after the fact watching whatever you guys know the drill please do take a second at that like button and the subscribe button because it's just right there also and we're churning out fantasy content all year long you may hate me for it but i'm not going to change what i'm doing here so anyway Let's dive straight in. I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on other stuff. I don't know when I'm going to run out of my clock on today's show. Thunder, beat the Magic. Yeah, it's going to be a shorter show. We're going 20 to 30 minutes today instead of 50. Thunder, beat the Magic, 127-113 on the road. Zero surprises, as per usual, on the Thunder side. There hasn't been a surprise for the Thunder in a bazillion years. But as far as the Magic goes... We have a couple of things to consider. Gary Harris left this ball game early. Markel Fultz, they have a back-to-back, so who knows what's going to go on there. Jonathan Isaac on a back-to-back. We got we got a couple of things. First thing is, uh, Jalen Suggs. 17-7-4, four three-pointers and a steal. He got off to a hot shooting start in this game and then cooled substantially as the game went on, but good to see the rebounds. I still can't fully get myself back in. On Suggs. I had somebody ask me why I wasn't backing on faults, and it's like, well, I don't know that I even need to go into detail on that. Suggs has, at times this year, kind of nuzzled up against pretty good fantasy value, but he's had a lot of trouble maintaining it lately, largely because his percentages have been dog do. Last couple weeks, he's at 40% from the field, 60-some-odd at the free-throw line. Like, that's just not going to get it done. I like the steals, don't get me wrong, but... Nope. Wendell Carter Jr.'s minutes were back up in this one. Nope. He continually loses minutes to some backup center on this team. It's typically been Mo Wagner lately. And uh, Wendell doesn't get defensive stats. Sort of a tough center to, to invest in when you're not getting defensive stats out of said center. At least he doesn't tank percentages, so that's a slight uptick. But no, I don't want anything to do with that. And then Jonathan Isaac, who we talked about a couple days ago on the show. He played 25 minutes for the first time in almost five years. I guess more like four years and three months, something like that. Four years, three months ago was the last time he played 25 minutes before over the weekend. Uh, and he had 15 minutes in this one. They have a back-to-back going tomorrow or tonight. It was tomorrow when he played this ball game. So you knew the minutes were going to be held in check a little bit. I have put him on my bench in some Roto Leagues where I'm not super far behind in games played because I just kind of want to see what the rest of this season brings. You know, if he starts getting 22 to 25 minutes in, like, non-back-to-back situations, then I'll start to deploy him. If he doesn't, I won't. 
And I don't think you can put him on your head-to-head roster because there's just way too much inconsistency in how many minutes he's getting to play. And so, you know, that bigger headache than it's worth. Boston, I was chasing a kid when the news broke late yesterday in the evening that Christoph Porzingis was going to sit out the uh, front end of the Celtics back-to-back. They have a Brooklyn home-and-home going on here. This one was on the road. They play at home tonight against uh, the same Brooklyn Nets team. So, sadly, I was not at my computer to throw Al Horford into the lineup. Hmm. Aww. And we missed out. 16-6-4 on a perfect 6-of-6 shooting and 2-for-2 at the free throw line. The Horford fill-in is just, like, the easiest Roto games cap play. And at this point, Horford actually belongs just on rosters because he's filled in so often that his numbers on the year are just good throughout like you could make the argument to just play him every day but at least we know when to play him you play him when Porzingis sits or Jalen Brown sits or Jason Tatum sits or Derek White sits or Drew Holiday sits because he drops into the lineup when anybody on the Celtics is out on the year yes his value is inflated by the fact that he only has 0.7 turnovers a game but even on the season now he's number 84 that's including the half of games where he's not playing reasonable minutes I can't properly just dissect it and tell you what his exact rank is when one starter is out for the Celtics, but I can tell you it's pretty damn good, and he should be deployed in all of those spots, and now he'll sit the second half of the back-to-back, and Porzingis will likely come back, and blah, 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 so, you know, nothing else, nothing new on the Boston side, mostly just wanted to complain to you guys, because I didn't get a chance to get Horford into my lineups. Brooklyn has a few things going on. Uh, Ben Simmons played 24 minutes, had 5, 6, and 8 with no defensive stats, missed three of his free throws, and went one of five shooting from the field. It's going to be a better, bigger headache than it's worth. I get it. Some of you guys want to throw him on your bench on in a roto league and just see how it goes, and if he gets up to 30 minutes at any point, then you're like, all right, I guess maybe I can throw him out there. Okay, fine. If I told you I'm doing it with Jonathan Isaac, I can't really get on your case if you want to do it with Ben Simmons. Both of those guys are probably going to be hurt in the next two weeks. Neither one of them is reliable for minutes. The difference, at least in my eyes, is that when Jonathan Isaac plays 24 minutes, he's a fantasy value. When Ben Simmons plays 24 minutes, he's not. He wasn't a fantasy value first couple weeks this year when he was playing full starters minutes. So there's no guarantee that he will be again. He's just, like, bigger and slower than he used to be. Health or no health, he's not the same spring chicken he was four years ago before all the stuff. If you want to do the Ben Simmons thing, you do the Ben Simmons thing. I'm not doing the Ben Simmons thing. Not certainly outside of any kind of keeper format. That would be the only place you're like, well, you know, maybe I pick him up. I can spend like a 12th, 13th round pick to hold on to him for next year because who knows? Might come into a season healthy. A little easier than sitting through whatever this schmutz is uh cam thomas shot 50 percent, which means i need a sound effect but sell high when he shoots 50 percent, you sell high when he doesn't you don't straightforward uh and then uh the dennis's dennis smith jr just 15 minutes so i think we can probably not worry too much about him dennis schroeder not a good ball game three turnovers one of three free throws three of ten from the field but 32 minutes. That was the number that jumped out at me. 32 minutes, which is starters minutes. 
And again, there's no guarantee that it turns into uh, perfect fantasy value. But in 30 minutes in Toronto, basically, he was at about top 125 or so. Uh, his role wouldn't be that different. So, uh, you know, you can't look at him and be like, oh, he's going to get a bunch more shots in Brooklyn than he got, or a bunch more assists. No, he'd be about the same guy. The difference is, could he go from 30 minutes to 32 or 33? That 10% would get him up to the top 100 threshold. Not that that's like a huge difference. What's the difference between starting a 100-ranked guy and a 120-ranked guy? Very little. Very little. Um, that's where guys are pretty heavily clustered. Really starting from around like pick seven, 80, the guys get super duper clustered from 80 to like, well, basically the end of it. Although, again, like at a certain point, the difference between pick 80 and the difference between pick 140 is pretty different. It's just that the pick between 80 and like 90 is not that different. The 10-player gap is small. The 40-player gap is significant, whereas at the top of the draft, at the top of the rank board, a 10-player gap is huge. A, like a 3-player gap is small. So that's just sort of a sliding scale thing. So what do you do? What do you do? That's the question. What do you do with Dennis Schroeder? We saw a bad line, 9 points, 5 boards, 3 assists, couple of 3-pointers, bad percentages, no defensive stats. And, and again, like this is a thing that is going to haunt him. He's not a big defensive stat guy. He averaged about just under one steal a game, and maybe he can get back to that. Doesn't shoot that many threes, so hard for him to float his value there. He's a good free throws guy, typically. I know this game, small sample size theater. The assists are probably going to be decent. The scoring is probably going to be fine, but not spectacular. You're hoping he can get you kind of up to, like, league average or fantasy league average. What's the upside? Not a ton. Upside's like top 90, top 85 if guys start pulling the plug on their season, which they won't because it sounds like Cam Johnson is hopeful to make his return in this ball game. I don't know if he's going to play enough minutes to be successful, but like where are these extra minutes coming from? Does it come from Schroeder? Ben Simmons sitting out the back-to-back. -back. I guess that's where some of them could be. Why isn't Dorian Finney-Smith playing more minutes? Is that injury-related? Probably. Will they go up? Maybe. Brooklyn is looking at a bit of a log jam. So reason to maybe stem the tide on any optimism. But I do think we need to hold on to Schroeder in the short term. Because again, how many point guards you got floating out there that are playing 30 minutes a game? That are on the waiver wire, I guess I should add. Not many. Heat beat the Bucks 123-97. And this ball game was over early. But we were able to learn a few things about Miami. So, Jimmy Butler. So, Terry Rozier. So, Josh Richardson. That's right. I did the French pronunciation. Sweet cultured Dan Bibri on today's show. Uh, Jaime Aquez came off the bench for 28 minutes. Keep an eye on him, but you don't have to add him right now. Kevin Love had 19-8-3 in 23 bench minutes. He is a usage monster. Has been all season long. Uh, the issue is that, you know, 15, 16 minutes is not enough to get him to fantasy play. But the way that Kevin Love has put up numbers in super low minutes this year kind of tells you that in like 24, 25 minutes, he probably would be around a top 100 guy. So keep one eye on Kevin Love as well. If you badly need a few threes and a couple of rebounds from a center that can shoot free throws, okay. It's a little more, you know, specialist-y. Nikola Jovic... 
not to be confused, of course, uh, had 24 points and five three-pointers in this game after basically not playing for the last two weeks. So watch list him on for me. Uh, and then Duncan Robinson. You see where I'm like circling towards my target here. Duncan Robinson, when he starts, he's a go. That's the way it was earlier this year when uh, Tyler Hero was out and they didn't have Terry Rozier yet and Jimmy Butler missed some time in there. So there were a couple guys out. When Duncan Robinson starts, Duncan Robinson is a play. He has gotten better at cutting, like, substantially. Uh, and he's still going to hit a bunch of three-pointers, maybe not six every ball game. And then, of course, you've got the fact that Miami's schedule sucks. So for head-to-head, you've got a game today, and then they're off until Friday of next week. And then they're off again over the weekend. So after today, Miami has one game. you got the All-Star break, which obviously inflates the numbers, but one game over 11 days. That ain't going to get it done. But Roto, it makes a lot of sense because you squeeze out one game, you can just move on after that. Do you think anybody on Miami is back after the All-Star break? Kevin Love is a 50-50. He's a coin flip. He's very much a do-you-need-these-categories kind of guy, whereas Duncan Robinson is more in the, yeah, I mean, he'll be mathematically a guy you could play. As far as the Bucks go, Malik Beasley continues to be your Chris Middleton fill-in and not a supremely exciting one at that. But he's been, like, generally good enough. A low upside three-point streamer, basically. And that's it. Jay Crowder sucks. He had that one decent game in there, but otherwise it's been super ugly. And there was video of Giannis, like, snapping a towel at an official in this ballgame. Be careful what you wish for, Bucks, man. You unloaded your coach, and you are crapping the bed. Congratulations on your bed defecation. Bucks did get a win in there. They beat uh, a Nuggets team that's thrown it into hard cruise control. They also beat the Hornets, but, you know, who cares? Lost to the Jazz, lost to the Suns, lost to the Wolves, lost to the Heat without their entire starting five. Yeah, trouble. Speaking of the Timberwolves, they are good. They're the number one seed in the Western Conference right now. Game up on the Thunder. Wolves are 38-16. and 16. Impressive that they're 19-11 and 11 on the road. So uh, home-heavy schedule the rest of the way, 19-5 and five at home. They've got six more home games than road games left. That's a good sign. Uh, but they win any- anywhere. This game was over early-ish. Game was not as close as the final score would indicate, although Rudy Gobert and Anthony Edwards still got to play a, a pretty healthy allotment of minutes. But they were able to get Mike Conley out of there early. Cat had some... Uh, issues in this game don't worry about that Jaden McDaniels played 24 minutes so he didn't miss any time and then with the sort of kooky minutes you got extra Nikhil Alexander Walker extra slow-mo extra Nas Reed you can mostly ignore that stuff when the Timberwolves are healthy and then as far as the Blazers go they are not healthy but they're not not healthy enough that make any sense it actually did make sense if you sort of slow it down We need the Blazers to either be healthier so we could start someone like a Malcolm Brogdon or more unhealthy so we can get to fringier players. As it stands right now, you've got Jeremy Grant, DeAndre Ayton, and Anthony Simons are three safe plays at this exact moment. And then you had this sort of one every three to four game decent marker for Scoot Henderson. He's still very much learning the NBA level. But when all of those guys are there, 
that's enough guys healthy to render anyone else useless. I've had to knock back so many questions about when it's time to pick up Jabari Walker. Not yet. I don't know that there's ever going to be a time to pick him up, but we definitely need Jeremy Grant out. We probably need Shaden Sharp not to come back, which isn't going to happen. He's going to come back. He's a young dude who's going to want to get some minutes under his belt. Uh, like, I mean, Simons is still a young dude, even if you think maybe they shut him down at some point. Scoot's going to play it out. Aiton's going to be here and there. They'll, that, that'll probably sniff of, of shutdown. So what happens? If we get Aiton out and we get Jeremy Grant out, is that enough? In that instance, I'd probably rather pick up Duop Reith. At least as your backup center, it's sort of easier to get fantasy stats than praying that Jabari Walker can do something besides hit a three-pointer and grab eight rebounds. If I'm looking at Portland and I'm looking for somebody that I think could be, you know, a March stash, Reith would be that guy. Tamani Kamara might be that guy. He has a little bit more variety to his game. Henderson, if you think Scoot starts to figure it out here at the end of the year, you know my feeling on rookie ball handlers. It's after February or not at all. And frankly, if you're looking for sort of like return on effort, not at all is a lot easier on your conscience, your anxiety level. Sacramento Phoenix, that was a fun one. Uh, Kings, couple of mistakes down the stretch, cost him a chance to maybe steal this one on the road. Sabonis with a huge ball game. He got off to a slow start this year, and you kind of always knew that he'd eventually work his way up the board. He's back to number 25 now. Not because necessarily his counting stats got bigger. This was obviously a huge ball game, but he's been in the sort of 20, 12, and some odd to 13. Good assist numbers, eight and a half this year. It's the free throws. They were in the mid to low 60s for a while, and they've slowly ticked their way up to 70 after he went seven out of eight in this ball game. And it's that... Like, you never even really notice it's happening, but it's happening. And I don't think you ever were really able to buy low on him because the low free throws, people are like, yeah, he's, he's fine. Uh, you got the good De'Aaron Fox game after a few bad ones. He's been bouncing back and forth between, like, 35 and 55. He's at 45 right now, right smack in the middle, largely because uh, he's bad in the three points league categories. Negative field goal, free throw, and turnovers. It's been pretty awesome in a bunch of other stuff, but I play 9-cat, so there you go. Malik Monk continues his little heater here. Um, you guys know, and I, I get it, I, I'm a little bit more conservative than your average fantasy analyst, but you've come with me this far, so I presume it's because you like that I take fewer risks. In any event, uh, Monk very much a go in head-to-head -head leagues very much a go in points leagues. I continue to be somewhat reticent about dropping him into a lineup on the Roto side because his value tends to be pretty tied up in points and assists. The other stuff comes and goes a tad. Field goal percent fluctuates wildly. Turnovers fluctuate wildly. He's uh, 100% over this last, I guess like a week and a half or so. He's very much been a play in all formats over that week. So I get it. I'm being too nervous about it. But he's also not going to shoot, you know, 55 to 60% long term. And that's the cooking rate that he's on right now. He's also blocking, like, he's blocked like seven shots in the last week or something crazy. He's way out over his skis and stuff that you know is coming back to earth. If you want to try to ride the wave in Roto against the games cap, hope it lasts a few more games. That's fine. 
I just I'm always worried that I'm going to drop him in there and it's going to be either that game or the next game where it, the cliff he hits the cliff and then you end up doing damage to yourself. Of course, the opposite side of this is that uh, if Monk is playing well and for some reason they really don't want to take Harrison Barnes out of the lineup, then uh, Kevin Herter is his run of better play is probably about to end. He's uh, his minutes have trended down the last two ball games. He was on a heater before that. He actually shot the ball well in this ball game, but he was part of some uh, lineups that were getting their butts kicked. So out you go. I'm giving Herter exactly one more ball game to prove to me that he can continue to get 30 minutes a night. And if not, a uh, bye bye. A uh, Bradley Beal left after four and a half minutes. He's hurt again. This time it's a hammy. At least we have the All Star break coming up here. Um, I think Phoenix has one more game. Yeah, they played Detroit tonight, so they should be able to win that one without him. Suns have uh, very much turned their season in the positive direction since they got healthy. That's been a big part of it. Uh, but, the, you know, Detroit on a back-to-back from L.A. flying to Phoenix, they're going to be freaking cooked. So, in the short term, Grayson Allen obviously gets a bump. He was already a start. Eric Gordon gets a bump. And we saw Royce O'Neal got a nice bump. So now it comes down to what's the pecking order behind Booker, Durant, Nurk, and I would say Grayson Allen, who's safely kind of in that top four, top five when Beal is there, top four when he's not. Is it going to be Gordon or is it going to be Royce O'Neal that produces in this game? Personally, I lean to Royce. I think Gordon probably starts. I don't know that that's actually necessarily true. They might want him as their bench gunner. But Royce O'Neal has the more varied fantasy game, meaning, and we saw this, uh, I guess it'd be, uh, was it last year or the year before? I don't know. I, I lose track of seasons ever so quickly. Uh, Royce last year, that was already in Brooklyn. Yeah, nine points, five boards, four assists, 1.5 defensive stats, and two three-pointers uh, in 31 minutes. Th- that's a nice variety pack. So, yeah, he's probably not going to score more than nine points during his little fill-in run here. But if he can get me five boards and four assists and a steal and a half a block, or maybe you go a little bit higher than that, who knows? That, to me, is more interesting than hoping I catch the Eric Gordon good shooting game, the lightning-in-a-bottle game, which he's had a bunch of them. I got to try not to be such a, a jerk to Gordon because on the season, he's shooting 46%, which is way better than uh, expectations, and if that holds and he drops into this bigger usage role, he took 17 shots last night, then, yeah, he's inside the top 100. I just continue to look at Gordon and go, is he really, truly going to shoot 46% all year? Is it really about the fact that playing with with Booker and KD has just uh, launched him, you know, three, four percentage points higher than he's been basically throughout his entire career? And it's not that the three-point shooting has changed all that much. You know, he's at 39% this season. He's career 37. He's had some years where he's... I mean, he's had plenty of years where he's been 39 or better. But he was still 40, 41, 42 from the field. His two-point shot has been much better this year. And, you know, maybe that's the spacing that 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 team gives him. Or maybe it's something that's due to regress. I don't know for sure. I can't tell you. Sometimes guys just have better seasons. And if that's what's happening here for Gordon, then I'm being 
short-sighted and too conservative in not grabbing him. Points leagues, you grab him head-to-head. You probably grab him because you're not as worried about the damage he could do to field goal percent. This My discussion right now is really more about would I use him against the games cap, and the answer tonight against Detroit is probably not. Same deal for Royce O'Neal, leaning towards no. Um, you know, Phoenix, after this one, they're off for a while, but they do have three games on the other side of the All-Star break if you think Bradley Beal's not back by then. And if it's, I don't know if it's just sore or actually strain. I think they called it a strain. Uh, I mean, if it's really a strain, Beal probably misses time on the other side of the break. So there might be a path there. And then the Lakers uh, beat up on Detroit. This game, it was funny. It was like a semi-blowout. I watch a lot of Lakers games live. Uh, I call it a semi-blowout because the Lakers were up by like 18 for the entire fourth quarter. They never really opened it up. I don't think the Lakers ever led by more than 23 points in the game. But they were up double digits basically the entire ball game. And so... The Lakers yanked Anthony Davis with like three minutes to go uh, in the third quarter. And then you could just see, like, can we hang on to a comfortable enough lead that he doesn't have to come back into the ballgame? And also, I kept looking at it like, why is LeBron playing so much right now? Because he, frankly, looked tired. He wasn't guarding anybody on defense. And I think this is one of those situations where they're like, look, we can... We're going to score enough in this game where we don't have to worry about it once we built a lead. But then we got the news after the game that LeBron was not going to be playing the back-to-back in altitude in Utah. That's a really difficult back-to-back. I mean, if the Lakers are going to lose a game going into the All-Star break, this is absolutely it. Utah's not been playing as well lately, but there's a reason they're favored by five and a half points in this game. And it's because LeBron is out. I don't think Anthony Davis has been ruled out yet. I think it's just LeBron, but it's also a back-to-back where Utah has had rest. They're not the only team hosting uh, a a club on a back-to-back in altitude. Uh, Denver has Sacramento on a back-to-back in altitude. Those are tough, man. You got to dig real deep. So, normally, we jump over the Lakers, but I do want to talk about them in just a second. As far as Detroit goes, uh, this is sort of a good news, bad news thing with Simone Fontecchio. 26 minutes in the starting role, and he was basically just going to roll with the starters. But this game ended early. So uh, Cade didn't finish the ball game. Jalen Duran didn't come back late. Uh, Sar Thompson did actually get a few extra minutes in this game, and he looked good. Hang on to him. Lakers were just letting him dunk for long stretches. Uh, Jaden Ivey, who's always going to be a much better points league option than uh, to traditional nine cat. You got a bigger James Wiseman game because he was also dunking a bunch, but this was a this was a goofy one. Uh, here here's the short version. Fontecchio, uh, I like him with the starters unit, so hold for now. He had a weird ball game, but he seemed willing to sort of fire, um, and he also ended up getting blitzed by the Lakers a bunch of times. So let, let's give him another one. Again, I don't think he's going to average twenty and nine like that first ball game, but he'll probably be a little bit better than this. Uh, Cade Duran, obviously, you're hanging on to in all formats. Ivy is going to be a little bit fringy for Roto. I think he'll probably be outside the Roto 9-cat play. If you're head-to-head and you're punting one of the things he's terrible at, then, yes, that makes more sense. Obviously, points leagues, that's a go. And then I got to give a shout-out, not fantasy-wise, just, like, life-wise, to Evan Fournier, who played 24 and a half minutes in this game. 
after Tom Thibodeau had, you know, what was the uh, what was the planet in Thor Ragnarok where all the junk got dumped? Tom Thibodeau sent Evan Fournier to that planet. So he'd been hanging out with, you know, President Jeff Goldblum for the last little bit. But he got to play. And the funny thing is, Fournier didn't look that bad. Yeah, he made a couple of dumb mistakes, but honestly, like, I expected way more dumbness from a guy who hasn't really been involved in basketball in God knows how long now. Did Fournier see the court this year? I gotta look that up now. I know I haven't seen much of him, but sometimes it's like, I haven't seen much of a guy. Did he actually play at all? And the answer is, yes, he got into three games previously this year, and uh, one of them was okay. December 30th. Oh, that's I was in Yosemite. Evan Fournier played uh, 17 minutes, had 10-2-2 two, and two with three steals. I don't think he's going to play enough in Detroit to be a fantasy dude, but honestly, keep one eye on it because Detroit is going to need a veteran in there now that Boyan Bogdanovich and Alec Burks are gone. And, you know, none of, nobody that they brought in, Quentin Grimes is not a veteran. Simona Fontecchio is not a veteran. The guys they've got coming back from injury... Grimes being one of them, Isaiah Stewart being the other. These guys are not veterans. So they may actually use a stabilizing player. But again, like we're not talking about starters minutes, so it, it would probably be fringy. And then as the Lakers go, uh-oh, I may be running out of time here. As the Lakers go, you know, one game situation here, they just they can't afford to push LeBron too hard. Maybe they can steal one on the road, their thought is. Lakers also have three and four days coming out of the All-Star break. And, and again, altitude. Uh... I haven't really been a proponent of adding Rui Hachimura, despite the fact that in his starter's role he has been a a you know more involved player. Uh, but with no LeBron, you'll probably see you know a dozen shots out of Rui in this ball game. You might maybe get enough out of Spencer Dinwiddie. Uh, I don't like his fantasy game typically, but he's gonna get some assists. He's gonna get some steals. You saw him actually; he was busting it on defense for his new team. Um, not a good nine cat situation. And as the sort of the new guy, I'd be a little surprised if he was like taking over. You're going to get a lot of Austin Reeves, a lot of D'Lo, a lot of Anthony Davis, and probably just enough Hachimura to be a one day, you know, spot play kind of thing. I, I don't think that I would take the plunge on Spencer Dinwiddie. Um, although he did look uh, competent in his first game with the Lakers. He looked like he was really hustling in a way that most guys in the NBA don't have energy to do right now. <laughs> it's middle of the season, man. These guys are tired, and Dinwiddie's playing like it's the first week of the year. Okay, that's all the time I had for today. I didn't do any promo. I just wanted to get through the information. Fontecchio, Schroeder, those were two of the really interesting ones. And then Dinwiddie, I probably should have put him on the list as well. Check out our buddies at manscaped.com. Use promo code ethos20 to get 20% off your free uh, and free shipping over there. Please do take a moment to like and subscribe. If you're checking us out for the first time, that subscribe button is a uh, colossal one for us. I am at Dan Bespris over on social media. Make sure to find me on Twitter. That's when I say social media, it's Twitter. I'm too old to figure out anything else. And we'll uh, try to get what we can to you guys over on social the rest of today. And again, no double dips this week. No two show days because I got to save the content for the All-Star break, which is right around the corner. We got a giant slate tonight. Almost everybody's playing. And then a handful, small, less than a handful of games tomorrow. And then we got a break. Time to take a uh, deep, semi, medium, deep breath. 
over the break. We got stuff to talk about over that. Don't worry, but uh, got to save the shows. Thanks for listening, everybody. Shorter one today, as promised. I will see you guys all tomorrow. Blue. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.